0: Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. I have a co-host today, Ari LaFell. Ari, as you might have been hearing, some other podcasts we've been putting together is running the Hall of Very Good Players for us and building it. But we're really excited for our guest today. Uh, This is a super cool episode. Miles Wolf, I would say, is considered the man who reinvented minor league baseball, right? This is a guy who took over, started working on this 50 years ago when minor leagues were dying. Nobody wanted the teams, nobody was attending games. And this is someone just through his own creativity energy persistence everything else completely brought a renaissance um the thing that you as a listener probably are most familiar with is that he owned the durham bulls uh when the movie was made uh bull durham obviously but more important he just wrote a great book uh, about his life in baseball called there's a bulldozer on home plate a 50-year journey in the minor league so myers miles thanks thanks for joining us great to be here so how do you, most people, I mean, look, I'm a New York City born and bred. So for me, it's like, you know, everything is major leagues in every way all the time. You grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. What Was there a minor league team there? And if so, how did that kind of spark your interest in it?
1: Well, yeah, no, there was a minor league team. And that's how I sort of became interested in baseball. Uh, my In 1954, the Orioles, the Browns moved to Baltimore and- uh, my, I had been born in Baltimore and my f- parents brought me back to Baltimore Orioles hat. And up to then I hadn't, I was 10. I hadn't been a baseball fan, um, but this created a baseball fan. And then that year I, uh, uh it was a confirmation class and the head of the class, uh, was part owner in the minor league team, the Greensboro Patriots. And he gave me a book of tickets.
0: What, what were they char- what were they charging for tickets back then?
1: Um, 85 cents. Okay. That's um, so that was for adults. I think kids was 35, but uh, be that as it may. So all of a sudden I became a huge fan, would go to the uh, minor league games, followed the Orioles. And um, after I got cut from little league for the third straight year, I decided I wasn't going to be able to be a big league player. But I wanted
0: to run a minor league team. So it was a dream from age 12, really. But what's interesting is you went to UVA. Your master thesis was about the Greensboro sit-ins, becomes a very popular book. You published multiple novels, obviously, this book. Now, you clearly could have said, OK, I'm just going to pursue a career as a writer instead. And you chose not to. How, how hard was that decision?
1: It wasn't hard. I, I was sort of on a cusp. My second book, Season of the Owl, came out in 1980 and that was when I bought the Durham Bulls and the Bulls just exploded as a successful team even before the movie and so you know I went with the you know the thing that was going best so yeah but it wasn't a hard decision because I love being in baseball and here I finally had a successful team and it well let's let's ride this horse as long as it'll go
2: yeah, Yeah. well, I guess it, it was it was seemingly the right decision. Um, your first actual job in baseball was as general manager of the Savannah Braves, which is a pretty lofty sounding title for the first job. What, what do you have to do to get it? And sort of what is, as the general manager of the Savannah Braves, what is your main focus? Is it winning, getting fans in the stadium, a combination of both? Where are you kind of spending your time?
1: Well, first off, how I got the job. Um, in 19, I got the job really late 1970. There were no, there were no sports administration courses. Lots of colleges now have sports administration. There was nothing like that, and the only people running baseball team were old guys from the 40s. No young people were getting in it, and the Atlanta Braves had, had owned their own minor league teams and had a couple young guys. And they didn't want to hire an old guy, and I was the only young guy who applied.
0: <laughs>
1: so, so they hired me to be a double A GM with no experience. And usually, you know, now if you do it, it may take you ten years to get to be a double A GM. But I was the only candidate. And
0: what, how would you describe the overall state of minor league baseball at that time?
1: Oh, it was it was dying by the early. 1970s. Uh, you know, the Tal Smith, Major League GM was advocating doing away with the minor leagues, putting everybody in Florida, maybe keeping AAA and, and the idea was gaining a
2: lot of traction. And did you at that point, did you see a way out for the minors a way to sort of, you know, make it rise again? Or, or what was your feeling on it when you sort of entered that world?
1: Well, I just believed in it. You know, I was, you know, I thought I had seen the old guys run teams and they didn't do anything. You know, I had sort of, you know, and there were a couple of young guys, a guy named Charlie Blaney was running Albuquerque and doing well. And there were a couple others and it just, well, you got to hustle. You got to, you know, make this exciting. And, uh, so, you know, I went to
0: Savannah and, um, uh, you know, it was a good experience. So you're this young guy, you're the GM of a, of a minor league team, and then all of a sudden you own the Durham Bulls. How does that happen?
1: Well, I had, as I said, been running minor league clubs, and it's you know it was getting frustrating because I had to work for people, and they may not have believed in what I was trying to do as GM, you know, trying to promote, trying to do this. I wanted my own club. So, I could do anything I wanted to. And fortunately, at, in 1980, minor league clubs had no value. And so, because I had no money. Um, so, we, we, it was sort of a meshing of t- two good things. Um, for $2,500, I bought the Durham Bulls. And then I started selling stock to anybody, to family and friends just to get enough money to operate. Uh, so so yeah, I mean, it, it was just, I I sort of came along at just the right time. I came along when no young people wanted to be in baseball. I came along when franchises had no value and it, it all worked.
0: Did, did you know how to run a business? I mean, you know, just because, yeah, you maybe knew the baseball side of it, but there's also an actual business. What'd you do? I learned in the Navy because I was the
1: the one person on board, you know, we want an eight month crew to the cruise to the Indian Ocean, you know, I had to supply, you know, food, everything for a crew for eight months. Well, I figured I could run a ball club for three months in the summer, you know, if I could take care of a ship for eight months when it's deployed.
0: Right. So for any of our listeners, if your goal is to run uh, a professional sports franchise, enlist in the
2: Navy. Um, you can get in the supply core. Yeah. And then, so for any sort of seasoned baseball fan, you hear Durham Bulls and you immediately think of the movie, Bull Durham. What was that sort of experience like for you and how did that impact the team either positively or negatively? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: I mentioned when I got the Bulls, I didn't have any money and I started selling stock and a friend of mine, uh, who was I was trying to get to invest said, Hey, I know somebody on the West Coast who might be interested. He's from Durham. And the fellow's name was Tom Mount. And Tom agreed to put uh some money in the ball club. But uh you know that's that winter before we opened. He came home to visit his parents who lived in Durham, and he came out to the ballpark and was looking around. He said, "You know, Miles, someday we'll make a movie here." And I thought, "Right, sure." Um, but sh- you know, Tom, anytime you want to, you know, do it. And didn't think much about it. But six years later, he sent a screenwriter, uh, Ron Shelton, to town to get some some background for his script, and. Ron fell in love with Durham and the grittiness of the old ballpark in downtown Durham, and they decided to make the movie
0: there. And So the, the movie becomes a hit. I remember seeing it when it came out as a kid. And how does it then change perceptions of minor league baseball, interest in minor league baseball, all of that? Oh, I think it was one of the
1: main reasons for the boom in minor league baseball. Uh, it introduced people that didn't really know there was the minor leagues you know that this is hey what's that and all of a sudden values of minor league baseball just boomed
2: and then so you know that kind of leads into the next question which the the you know the team had become more of a success particularly after the movie and then you decided to uh to sell them right um which i think worked out pretty well for you but how did it feel sort of you know, you have built them. You made the big, big decision to let the movie get made, and um, sort of guided them back to uh, to success. How did it feel to actually make the sale?
1: Well, the reason I sold it, we had, once the movie hit and we did, we're doing so well. The ballpark was no longer adequate. It was a Depression era ballpark, and it it couldn't handle the crowds. And the city had an, you know agreed to build a new ballpark in downtown Durham. You know, let's let's get this thing really going. But there was some opposition, and we had a way of funding it without a referendum. But the city decided they wanted a referendum, and we lost big time because uh, minor league baseball referendums don't win. And so that was the decision to sell because I knew I couldn't survive without a new ballpark.
0: So, so you've done a lot of moving around in your career, different teams, different leagues. So. What have been your favorite stops along the way? And why not just pick one place and say, I am going to build and run and own the best minor league team in this place that's ever been?
1: Well, it, as I say, it, it, you just reach a point, it's time to sell. I mean, Durham, you know, we lost the referendum. Uh, you know, I would go to a town, uh, probably my, my favorite city was Quebec City, Canada. Uh, just a beautiful city, you know, French, uh I didn't speak a word of French.
0: (laughs) Of course not. Um,
1: You know, and they had an old ballpark, and again, nobody, there weren't any Canadians or Quebecois folks who wanted to put a Who wants to put a baseball team in Quebec, Canada? It snows all the time, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm the only one there Mm -hmm. willing to do it because I just loved the market, loved the old ballpark. But my goal was to get it up, set up, going, and then sell it to local folks, you know, who would, it needed to be owned by local people. But it took me 10 years to find a local owner, because particularly Canadians, if if I'd owned a hockey team, I could have sold it the next year. But, you know, baseball was a little foreign. So many times I just went to a town, I'm going to start a team here, show that it can be profitable, show that it's viable. And go to the next town. But as I say, I was there for 10 years uh, before we were able to find find new ownership.
0: So, so what's the playbook? So clearly you, you had a, a way that you can go from market to market and say, I'm going to do these 10 things that's going to make a difference. What, what, what was
1: it? First off, you've got to have population. You've got to have a city big enough. I mean, yeah. uh, it's a market. you got to have a ballpark.
0: Uh, what's the smallest uh, size city a minor league team can exist in?
1: Well, I mean, say in an affiliated ball, you know, the big leagues are paying all the salaries, all the spring training, all the workman's comp, you know, so it's easier in a smaller city. So there are towns like Kinston, North Carolina, with only 25,000 people that have a team. You know, in independent baseball, we didn't think you could make it without 150,000 people.
0: So why Why is, it, w- it would seem just on the face of it that you You'd rather be an affiliate of a team so that the the fans can associate with the big league team and see the players advance and everything else. But it seems like you've had a lot of experience also in independent leagues. Why? It seems counterintuitive. Why did you like doing the independent leagues? Okay. Well,
1: first off, when you own an affiliated team, your purpose is not to win. You know, the big league club will come to town and say, we're here to develop clubs for the players for the major leagues, you know, they've got one or two kids they really care about. So I always felt I was cheating my fans because I wasn't there to win games. I was there to develop players. And I don't think that's, I think fans want to see their team win. Why is college basketball? And since I'm in Durham, you know, Duke and Carolina are here, you know, you never hear Roy Williams or Mike Shusesky saying i'm here to develop players for the nba they're there to win and that's what makes a minor league attractive you know if you're a fan you want to see your team win you don't want it's just to see the mets play you want to see them win
2: right and so at one point in your career you bought a minor league hockey team the rally ice caps what was the learning curve there? What, you know, Are there any major differences from running a minor league hockey team to a minor league baseball team other than, of course, the sport? And, you know, talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, the reason we bought it was just a friend of ours said, had bought a club in North, a hockey team in Norfolk, Virginia, and he'd been in baseball. His name was Blake Cullen. He was in the commissioner's office for a while. And Blake said, hey, you should own a minor league team in in Raleigh. Because it's just like running a minor league baseball team. You know the sport is different, but the the way you run it is pretty much the same. Because there are there are a lot of games in hockey. Uh, you, you know, baseball. You if you had a full season team, they're seventy, but hockey was usually about thirty five in the minor leagues. But it's the same thing, uh, except the sport. And they said the only thing you got to do is hire a good coach who can find players, uh, and you know we did it and. Uh, there was no ice arena in Raleigh, but there was an old, an arena called Dorton Arena that had been used for the agricultural fair, and out in front was a cow washing pit, so you could get your cow clean before which you displayed every it. Every
0: minor league hockey team needs a cow washing a pit. A cow anymore. washing pit, no, no, of course.
1: But and it was all glass. So in the spring, uh, the, the sun would shine in the visiting goalie's eyes, which we thought was a good thing. From our perspective, Um, (laughs) but it it was fun. It was great. And it was like running a minor league team. And we did very well. And you ask why you got out. Well, the NHL started looking at it. They saw us drawing so well and there was a new arena coming to town. So that was time to get out of hockey when the NHL decided to come to town.
0: So, you know, it seems like in baseball, the minor leagues and college baseball coexist. And and given the demographics of baseball now, minor leagues have a lot of players from Latin America and other countries who can then be developed, and American players kind of go either to the minor leagues or college baseball. In basketball, they now have the G League. And the question I have is, what do you think happens to college basketball if the G League really takes off and becomes the likely destination for most young players? And do you think if you're a superstar young player, it makes sense to play in college or should they all go to the G League?
1: Well, I think particularly now with what the NIL, the name and likeness, you know, college players can make money. Um, no, I don't think college basketball will be hurt at all by the G League. That's more the taxi squad for the, the NBA players. They need a place if somebody gets hurt. So the G League is more of a taxi squad. Uh, I think the way college basketball works, uh,
2: they train players really, really well for the NBA. Um, So you once told one of your owners that he was a minor leaguer at heart. He seemed not to take it in the way that you meant it. Uh, How so? Well,
1: when I say somebody's big league, it's it's pejorative. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're full of themselves. You know, you're really big league, aren't you? You know, it's it's not a good thing for me if somebody if I call somebody big league. Um this was Mike Vec. Uh, and Mike has been one of our great owners in in independent baseball and you know, Mike kept going back to the big leagues would get hired and he'd hate it and come back and and run, run some minor league teams because he had the freedom, particularly in St. Paul with the St. Paul saints. He had a pig that was trained to take baseballs to the umpires. There was a nun who gave massages in the, in the stands during the game. He had a barber in the (laughs) stands cutting hair, you know, you know, Mike was just a great promoter. And, you know, he had players like Daryl Strawberry come, go through there, uh, Jack Morris. uh, So, so I told Mike, you know, hey, you're really a minor leaguer. Well, his dad was a big league owner. He thought he was a big leaguer. And Mike, no, no, you're, you're one of us. You're a minor leaguer. And that for me is a, a positive Compliment. Did,
0: did he ever come back around and say, you know what, I know what you mean, and you were right? Or does he still? Well, in his I don't mind? know. I've never
1: asked him. He was, <laughs> as I say, not happy when I said it, so I never brought it up again.
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So let's take a step back. I mean, you, you've been in baseball for 50 years. The game macro, so major, minor, all of that, um, has changed to a certain extent. But I think more alarmingly, has just become less popular than it was, you know, in previous eras. Um, Why do you think that is? And if Rob Manfred called you today and said, hey, how do we fix all this? What would you tell
1: him? Well, I'd tell him first probably to resign. Um, (laughs) You know, he just did away with 40 minor league teams. Uh, So I'm not sure that's making baseball America's pastime to do away with clubs. But uh, no, I mean, baseball's. Cyclical, It's up and it's down. And certainly right now, it isn't as popular as uh, football, basketball, if you would. Um, But I don't – you know, you've got kids at the games looking at their phones. Uh, You know, I think the speed-up rules are pretty good. I don't agree with all of them. But, yeah, the game does drag too much. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think – I believe baseball will, will will survive and survive well. It's too great of a game. No. I don't think it's going anywhere.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. What does a minor league team cost these days?
1: Certainly, probably in excess of ten million dollars. Triple A clubs, maybe twenty to thirty million.
0: So, when people come to you, when friends come to you and say, "Hey, I think it'd be fun to own a minor league team. Should I do it?" What's your advice usually?
1: Well, my first inclination would be to say no, but then I'd have to say, tell me more, you know, what's the price, you know, because it's a business and most people who buy minor league teams are doing it because they're fans and fans many times don't make the best owners. Uh, So I think over the years, you know, I've always approached it as a business uh, that, you know, is this town viable you know, can you make money? There's the ballpark? How's your lease? Uh, all the things that go into to
2: running a minor league team. Miles, who's the on any one of the teams that you've been a part of? Who's the single best player that that has come through one of the teams? Oh, well, I you know, I had the the Braves had some good
1: players coming through the Bulls in the '80s. Um, you know. Chipper Jones was sort of the last of, of my era um, but but as I say I, I'm not there I don't care if and this sounds cruel but I don't care if my guys make the big leagues I want them to win so my fans have a good time you know right I mean I hope they all make it because that's their dream right but then, that's not my dream for them that's their dream right you know? but
0: it worked out pretty well for Chipper okay. yeah.
1: My dream is to have a successful franchise, and it assures baseball will be that in that community for another thirty years. So I want to develop enough fans that they, you know, they can tell their kids, "Oh, I used to get go to this the games here." One of the reasons I knew that Durham might be a success before we even had our first game was people would come in to buy tickets and say, um, "I used to come here with my dad. I want my kids to experience that." This. That's what I love when it's a generation to generation thing. So you've got fans in Durham, you know, whose grandfathers, uh, you know, were there. In fact, uh, one of my GM's grandfather was buried on the mound. His ashes were uh, raked into the mound when he died, you know. So I like That's the generational of- thing.
0: So there's been uh, some experimentation with robot umpires in minor league baseball. What do you make of that?
1: I'd I'd like to see how it works. Um, But then the other hand, umpires make mistakes. Players make errors. Uh, I always like arguments. Um, The baseball arguments are so great and so visual that that's that's a lot of fun. Uh, But you don't want the umpire – you know, I always – being a commissioner when I was commissioner of the Northern League, I I always used to say, you know, being commissioner, the only person you can root for is the umpire because you can't root for either team and you don't want the umpires to make a mistake. Uh, so that's why owning a team is much more fun. So you can actually root against the umpires. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it would be interesting to see balls and strikes, but the human element, I think, also is what makes it fun.
2: I agree with you, too. We, we'd, uh, the manager arguing with the umpire is one of the most entertaining things the sport has. I don't know if it can afford to lose it. So, um, think, Yeah, you don't have that in any other sport where you know, no. people
1: are jumping up and down and it looks like the end but, of the earth. And right. yeah. Yeah, no, t- really. Tennis
0: players, I guess, will argue with the, the judge a little bit. But, you know, now they have the robot there. So I guess that's probably eliminated yeah, a lot of that.
2: Basically. Um, all right. One more. Who is your favorite mascot of all time? Oh, well, I'll give give my, uh,
1: be parochial and say my mascot in Quebec, Cappy, but we, he was the old mascot for the Quebec Nordiques and he was just great and could 50, 55 years old and could do flips in a mascot costume. Uh, But I, the San Diego chicken I love because he helped the miners in their revival you know, the chicken would come to town and you'd draw 5,000 people when you'd only been drawing 500. So I think the chicken was part of the minor league revival too.
0: So chicken and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Um, well, no, so,
1: Costner was important, yes.
0: Yeah, so uh, Miles, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, let me just repeat the name of the book again. There's a bulldozer on home plate, a 50 year journey in the minor leagues. If you like this conversation, you're gonna love the book. Uh, Miles, thanks for doing this.
1: Great pleasure. Thank you.